You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Robin Gavon, Senior Critic at Large. Today, we're continuing our Race in America series with Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. And I'd also like to invite our audience to join the conversation. You can tweet your comments and questions uh, to the handle post live. Welcome, Congresswoman. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would like to start, we have lots to get to, but I'd like to start with sort of the elephant in the room, which is uh, the aftermath of uh, the Oscars. And um, you had tweeted um, right after uh, and then deleted, um, Alopecia Nation, stand up. Thank you, Will Smith. Shout out to all the husbands who defend their wives living with alopecia in the face of daily ignorance and insults. And then you later deleted that and tweeted that you, you know, don't condone violence. But I, but and that initial tweet, though, was clearly one that was uh, steeped with emotion. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the emotion that uh, sparked that first tweet and, and what that really sort of was stirring up for you. Robin, it was visceral response, a visceral response for a spouse and other ones who know the very pain of living in particular for women, in particular for black women. I don't condone forms. I've always used my platform to promote healing and forms of violence and force, which is why I deleted because I was fearful of it out of context. I do want to say that revealed a moment ago. I realized that been freed of the secret, still not free change. This is not an easy uh, Black women have had our in our bodies at least for generations. And as women, why the journey was so upsetting. And there's a lot to unpack. Ableism, racism, misogynoir, is that our bodies have public domain. How we show up in the world is not a punchline. Yeah, I, I just want to mention uh, that the audio uh, is dropping out a little bit, so um, please forgive me if I might have to ask you to uh, repeat a couple of things, uh, okay. but we will uh, press on. <laughs> okay, there, there's an echo on my end as well, which is why we hear me being a little bit delayed the staccato, <laughs> so we'll do our best here. I mean, one of the things that you you brought up in that initial tweet was uh, the the defense of a black woman. I, I'm curious. I mean, if the, you share, um, you know, the uh, disorder of alopecia with Jada Pinkett Smith, I'm wondering what, if anything, you felt you know could have been done on her part to sort of retain uh, authority over her own, over her story in that moment? Well, Robin, what I will say is that 
you know, black women are certainly deserving of protection and how I seek to protect black women is in my role as a legislator every day because um, the hurt and harm that black women have experienced was legislated. Um, it was codified in policies uh, that appear to be neutral on their face but have a disparate impact on uh, black girls, uh, such as hair policies and dress code in our schools, resulting in uh, the school push-out crisis and the criminalization of black girls uh, in our schools. I seek to protect black women by legislating to combat the black maternal morbidity crisis, extending postpartum coverage by one year, including doulas in coverage. I seek to protect black women in my advocacy for the cancellation of student debt because black women are the most educated and disproportionately burdened by this debt. Um, and also as an alopecia ambassador, uh, I have secured more funding for, uh, or advanced funding out of the house through for the NIH for more research into autoimmune diseases which disproportionately impact uh, women of color, people of color, in particular alopecia, and also introduced um, a bill uh, whereby uh, durable medical wigs would be covered by insurance. They are very cost prohibitive. And um, so these are the ways in which I seek to be an alopecia ambassador and, of course, stewarding my platform in the most uh, responsible way possible. As I said in that reveal, I'm not here just to take up space. I'm here to create it. One of the things that you, you mentioned in, in that reveal was that you were making peace with having alopecia, but that you had not yet made peace with it. And, and you talked a lot about, um, you know, people telling you that, uh, to quote the India Ari song, that, you know, I'm not my hair, but as you said, but I'd like to keep it. I mean, so much of this is often uh, couched in the idea, oh, well, you know, this is just cosmetic. Can you speak to that issue that so many of the things that are dismissed as cosmetic have these deeply rooted political aspects to them? Absolutely. Um, that is why I was proud to be an original uh, co-sponsor co of the Crown Act, um, banning race-based hair discrimination, again, because um, these anti-Black policies have been codified uh, through our laws, um, creating environments where we feel fearful and experience discrimination simply for showing up in the world um, as, we are, as we are made. Um, and so it is um, not only uh, political, um, but these things also do take a psychological toll. Um, how I show up in the world as a bald black woman is disruptive for many people. It challenges conventional and societal norms of what is professional, of what is pretty, what is feminine, what is acceptable. And that is, uh, you know, some days are, are harder than others. Uh, and so, as I said, I have freed myself of the secret, but I have not freed myself uh, from the shame. Uh, this is not easy. Um, and I'm fortunate that I do have the support, uh, not only of my, my team, my staff every day in Congress, but certainly uh, most of all, my family uh, and my husband and, and then our daughter. Um, I remember shortly after my reveal going to one of my daughter's dance uh, recitals. And um, as I entered the room, I felt a lot of eyes on me. 
And I remember asking her if I embarrassed her. And her response was that everyone was looking at me because I'm so beautiful. And my husband's response on, on those days where I have felt unworthy of love and um, self-conscious and vulnerable in the worst kind of ways is that I don't need hair uh, to wear a crown. And so uh, the love of my family and my, my chosen family uh, has been very restorative. But um, again, everything that a woman does, everything a black woman does, certainly everything that a black woman in Congress does uh, is political. And, and that includes, and especially our hair. As you, as you have, um, you know, continued on and in, in telling your story and, you know, you continue to, as you said, look in the mirror every day and recognize the person that you see, do you, I mean, are you at a place now where you, where your um, appearance has now become more empowering and more, um, a, a builder of confidence than something that produced shame? Robin, I'm very grateful for my alopecia family and the broader community of, you know, some 7 million strong who, again, understand this unique walk and that it is certainly uh, much more than cosmetic. And so um, when I look in the mirror, I see myself, I recognize that this is the most recent iteration and form of me, um, but it is still an adjustment and hard not to mourn uh, the prior version of myself, uh, one that seemed a very authentic expression of both my ethno and Afrocentric pride in wearing my braids, but uh, the perfect alignment of sort of where I was uh, in my own journey as, as a woman. Um, as a black woman. And of course, that representation of my braids meant a lot to a lot of people as well. And so I will just say that I'm a work in progress, uh, continually adjusting. And um, I, I feel a tremendous sense of responsibility. And it is a great honor as well to be a global ambassador for the alopecia community. I mean, you mentioned uh, the, the braids that you used to wear and the impact that that had on young girls who you met. Um, what do you think the impact is on seeing a, a Supreme Court nominee uh, who has sister locks? Oh, very profound. It is, there are so many layers of, of representation, of powerful historic representation um, in Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, including that her first name is Katanji. Um, and so certainly that sister lock representation uh, makes the point that uh, we belong everywhere. Uh, we belong everywhere and we belong with our uh, afros, with our sister locks, with our braids, with our bald heads, that we belong everywhere. I mean, do you have any sense of how, um, you know, the chances of the, the Crown Act passing in, in the Senate when, I mean, do, do you get the sense that you're having spoken so um, openly about um, the issue of hair and what it means and the history that it has resonated with um, any of your, your colleagues on the other side of the aisle? Robin, I'm an eternal optimist, and so I wouldn't be doing this 
work if I did not believe in the capacity of, of humanity to rise and to, to meet the moment. Uh, and I can only say that uh, I have had colleagues, house colleagues uh, from the other side of the aisle uh, shortly after my alopecia reveal and even after um, a floor statement that I gave on National uh, Alopecia Awareness Day, uh, who approached me with compassion, um, uh, some with, with more questions, uh, and some who even revealed that they were struggling similarly, um, but that but very few people in their lives were even aware that they were living with this autoimmune uh, disease. And so um, that is the power of storytelling. Uh, you never know uh, what will resonate, but I know that that storytelling is certainly much more impactful, has more potential to be transformative than any statistics or data points that I could offer on alopecia or any other issue. Uh, and so that is why I've been so transparent uh, in my journey. So I'm optimistic. I am optimistic. And, and I would also just say, um, you know, Robin, in the midst of what has often been referred to as a reckoning on racial injustice, I, I, could, I could challenge that. I think um, what we are in the midst of is an awakening. I think um, uh, the real reckoning is one that codifies the value of Black lives in every budget and every policy. Uh, and so I think we are making strides there um, with the Crown Act passing the House, and I seek to continue to make those strides, um, whether it's combating the black maternal morbidity crisis, uh, whether it is canceling student debt, a nearly $2 trillion crisis disproportionately bore um, by black women, um, or uh, addressing the school push-out crisis, uh, the criminalization of black girls in our schools, which has been growing the school to confinement pathway. Uh, and so again, this is how I seek to protect black women and girls, is using the power of not only storytelling, but the power of the legislative pen. Why did you think it was um, important to um, address the issue of, of medical grade wigs and having that being covered by Medicare? I mean, I, I don't want to, um, you know, sort of define you as the aesthetics uh, congresswoman, but I mean, you really do seem to be uh, zeroing in on this particular aspect of our culture and the way that it impacts people on a very intimate way. Well, I see the, the fight of civil rights and the work of justice as an intersectional fight. And so for me, a disability justice has always been married to the work that I do for uh, healthcare justice, um, for uh, racial justice, for civil rights. Uh, and so this is a part of that, that broader work and agenda that I seek to advance. And uh, many people don't understand just how cost prohibitive these wigs are. And the reason, you know, at, at this point, I haven't chosen to wear a wig. That does not feel a part of my authentic walk, but you never say never. But when I think of the many children uh, living with alopecia, uh, in fact, there's a young 12-year-old girl who several weeks ago took her life, um, Rio Allred, uh, from Indiana because of the bullying that she received at school for living with alopecia. And she had a wig that they would often uh, rip off uh, cruelly from her head. Um, they would physically assault her, a name call. So again, it, this takes a psychological troll because there is a social stigma uh, to being a bald um, little girl or a bald woman. And 
anything that I can equip people with that will support them in navigating society in a way where they can show up uh, without fear and without discrimination, I'm going to seek to do. And some of these medically durable wigs can be as much as $4,000. So when I think of our elders who are living on fixed income and the difference that this would make for them, and a medically durable wig is a wig that's, that's customized, it's molded, um, it is, uh, you know, it will not endanger you if you're cooking and you, you bend down uh, to open something in the oven. It's something that will, will stay on your head if you're a child playing a sport. Um, and so that's why we're specifically saying medically durable wigs. And this was a bill introduced uh, in partnership with my colleague, Representative Jim McGovern, chair of the Rules Committee, uh, who serves in the Massachusetts delegation with me. But this is a, a bill that we've also seen legislation introduced in state legislatures throughout the country, including in Massachusetts, um, and that um, the National Alopecia Errata Foundation has legislatively been lobbying for uh, for many, many years. And I look forward to joining them in June when we have the National um, Alopecia Convention in Washington uh, and a lobbying uh, day as a part of that to do everything possible to earn the co-sponsors to eventually get this, this bill um, out for a vote and, uh, and into law. As you, as you push forward these laws and you tell your own story and, um, you know, and, and raise uh, awareness around uh, alopecia, I mean, how do you want people to engage with um, an issue that is both intimate and personal, but is also something that you and, and others are, t are speaking about publicly. Um, you know, I, I think it probably gets to the issue of, you know, when you see someone who doesn't look like you, like how do you, how would you want to be engaged? Uh, kindness, compassion. Uh, again, it is certainly, a, you know, challenging to be met with uh, rude stares or uh, unsolicited advice or assumptions about why you are bald. Many people think that I shaved my head. Um, I have alopecia totalis, so that means that I was robbed of all the hair on my head, my face, and my body. Uh, my eyebrows are microbladed on. I'm wearing um, uh, false eyelashes, which many women do uh, today for, for style and for fashion. But um, you know, it's very traumatic to undergo a transformation not of your choosing and then to experience um, bullying um, or, or rudeness or assumptions about you, uh, again, based on a transformation not of your choosing. And there are several forms of alopecia. And so what I would ask people to do is just educate yourself, you know, ask questions. Robin, to your point about this being more than cosmetic, if you think about many years ago, um, women who went underwent uh, breast mastectomies while battling breast cancer. At that time, if you wanted to have breast reconstruction and have implants, uh, that was not covered by insurance. And that is because people saw this as simply that was just something that was simply just cosmetic. But as uh, impacted women shared their stories and people had a, a greater appreciation for how this impacted their sense of self, and also how the, the world viewed them and how the world engaged them. Uh, there was an understanding that this was something that was that had a medical impact and um, should be covered by insurance. And so now uh, breast reconstruction is covered uh, by insurance. And I just want people to understand that, you know, with alopecia and autoimmune disease, 
uh, where your immune system attacks your hair follicles. And again, there are several versions of it. And I have uh, alopecia um, totalis. Um, that just because this doesn't threaten my life doesn't mean that it doesn't affect my life or the 7 million people living with this who experience, again, social stigma, employment discrimination, um, and, and so much more. So uh, it is painful, but there is also joy that we find by being in community with one another, with people who can relate to the unique um, hardships of this autoimmune disease. I mean, several, many of the things that you've, you've mentioned are, are specifically um, challenging uh, for women, uh, the loss of hair. Um, and I'm wondering, as you think about these issues and you also look at the nomination of uh, Judge Jackson, I mean, how much do you think, how much of an impact uh, do you think the broadening diversity of the court of the legislature would have in people, uh, the country being more empathetic and more supportive of some of the issues that you've raised? Well, Robin, I think whether you're talking about a city hall, the state house, Congress, or the Supreme Court, or any space where decisions are being made, if they're being developed through a completely monolithic and homogenized prism, it's to a disservice to all of us. We are all better served by diversity of perspective, lived experience, um, thought and opinion. And how I see that showing up and manifesting is in the laws that are passed. Uh, specific to uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, she would be the first public defender to serve in the role. Um, again, we have had a hundred uh, white men uh, to sit on the bench, uh, never a black woman. Uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is overqualified and we are overdue, and it is timely and necessary. Uh, we have seen a great imbalance in the courts uh, where they have ruled against and obstructed the will of the people when it comes to uh, voting rights, uh, reproductive freedom, housing justice. Uh, and so it's critical that we restore fairness and balance to the courts. And again, she is supremely qualified. Her record speaks for itself. I mean, what does it mean that if that her confirmation would mean that there'd be four women on the Supreme Court? I mean, how does how does that sit with you? And what does that make you um, think about the way that the country is transforming? Well, it's a, certainly indicative of progress, and it's also indicative of the strength of a, a broader movement. I, I do want to just again. Um, give President Biden, as I have many times before, uh, credit for being responsive to the movement that elected him and keeping his word uh, with the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. So uh, I find it incredibly encouraging. I find it uh, affirming. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think it's a testament to a multi-generational, multi-racial movement that continues to organize, that continues to mobilize, and, uh, and challenge us to actualize the values uh, that we so often espouse, but are in contradiction with. When you uh, were watching some of the, the hearings, uh, I mean, I'm curious, as people described her as being, uh, you know, so dignified and, and patient and composed, um, did you 
find that to be uh, flattering or did you find it frustrating that um, this was required of her um, as she dealt with some um, pretty uh, challenging and daunting um, accusations? You know, Robin, we're often black women uh, celebrated for our resilience and we speak often amongst ourselves about sort of that superwoman uh, complex. I mean, uh, undeniably, we are incredibly resilient. I find myself sometimes resentful of that resilience because it is born out of great hardship. Um, I was not surprised uh, that she was poised or uh, the decorum that uh, she practiced uh, so effortlessly or her uh, command of the law and her intellectual acumen, uh, none of that was surprising. It was uh, confirmation and affirmation of how I see Black women showing up each and every day. Um, but did, did I think that it was uh, certainly challenging and at times unfair to have to endure um, the sorts of questions that she did? Yes, but but black women have had to maintain that composure and show that decorum in the face of indignities um, many times over. But again, she's supremely qualified and her record uh, speaks for itself. And I look forward to her confirmation. And I mean, the, the last question that I think that we'll have time for, I, I mean, as you uh, look forward and continue to press for the Crown Act, um, do you find or how do you find the shift in the way in which, um, you know, black women are uh, moving through the corporate world, moving into uh, perhaps uh, the Supreme Court? Um, I mean, do you see a time when um, hair will just be hair? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that we're even having this discussion and uh, I had so many uh, colleagues and, and constituents who um, were transparent about the fact that they had never considered this before. They did not know that this was even an issue. Uh, and so, again, I'm not sure if we're yet at the moment of a national reckoning on racial injustice, um, but we are certainly at a, a national awakening. And so I think whenever um, there is public discourse um, that stands to impact culture, which stands to impact public policy, and, and that will impact people's lives. Well, I very much appreciate your joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.